The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. I'm James Breeds, reporter for Financial News. Today with me is Bill Browder, CEO of Hermitage Capital Management, head of the Global Magnitsky Justice Campaign, author of Red Gnosis and upcoming book, Freezing Order. Welcome, Bill. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, great to be here. Great to see you. Uh, Bill, so you were expelled from Russia in 2009 um, and have since warned repeatedly of the dangers of Vladimir Putin's regime. Uh, how, how does it feel to be, to be proved right? Well, um, I'll tell you, it doesn't feel good to be proved right because what what, what we're seeing right now is is a um, uh, modern day Holocaust, where Vladimir Putin has taken all the terrible things that I've been talking about and others have been talking about over the last decade, and he's um, applying his evil and his criminality and his murder to um, tens of thousands of innocent civilians in in Ukraine, and so there's no. There's no joy in being right. There's absolute, you know, just heartbreak in watching it all playing out. And I wish that I had been able to do more in advance to stop this whole thing from happening. It's just, just horrifying. Mm, okay. And um, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden is in Europe this week for an emergency NATO summit. Um, there were also reports that the U.S. is planning further sanctions on Russia, including on members of the Russian Parliament. Um, how do you rate Biden's handling of the crisis so far? Has he been tough enough on Putin? Well, I, I have criticisms of him, but l l let me start with with what I think he's done right, and then I can also uh, talk about what he should still be doing. The um, it took a little while for the whole thing to get going, but but at this point, I think that that his um, sanctions are are really hitting Putin hard. You know, Putin had had accumulated this war chest of $640 billion. And, and when I call it a war chest, it's literally a war chest. This is a, 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 an amount of money that he was going to use for war. And um, uh, we, have we have frozen all of the hard currency in his war chest. So all dollars, euros, pounds, Canadian dollars, Swiss francs, yen, et cetera, have been frozen by Biden and the allies which is a, a totally unexpected thing for Putin. He, he never thought that that would happen. It has happened. And that's dried up a significant source of funding for his war. Uh, the second thing which, which has happened, which is that um, we have cut off uh, a number of Russian banks from the SWIFT international payment system. I can remember sitting in Davos about four years ago and Andre Kostin, who is the head of VTB Bank and one of Putin's closest allies, uh, was commenting on on that in relation, I believe, to um, Crimea, and he said, "If if this was ever done, we would consider it an act of war." Well, we just did it. Now we didn't do it entirely. Um, we only cut off seventy percent of the Russian banks from SWIFT, and there's still another thirty percent that can still transact international payments, and so that that has to be fixed. But but the fact that we did that is pretty pretty impressive. And then from my perspective, the 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 most impressive thing is to finally start going after the oligarchs. 
the idea of just imposing sanctions on government officials, uh, sanctions on uh, members of parliament, etc. That's interesting. That's symbolic. That that you know makes a statement, but it doesn't have any impact. But if you sanction somebody who's a multi-billionaire, and most importantly, a multi-billionaire who is acting as nominee or trustee for Vladimir Putin, which I believe a lot of the oligarchs are, that does hit him where it hurts. Mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin has an enormous fortune. He he keeps that fortune not in his own name, but in the name of these oligarchs. They keep it offshore, and we have now started to go after it, and and. Um, that is really the Achilles heel of the Putin regime because they commit terrible crimes to have gotten to get this money. And then they put it within our reach offshore and we're now reaching for it. And I believe that that's one of the most interesting parts of the whole sanctions program. Now, Mm. admittedly, we've only sanctioned about a dozen and there are a hundred oligarchs to sanction. And so a lot more oligarchs need to be sanctioned, but if we do it properly, then we've cut off his war chest, his sort of what I call legitimate war chest, which is the central bank reserves. And then we've cut off his illegitimate war chest, which is the money that he holds and the oligarchs hold offshore. And that leaves us with only one big um, gap, which is the oil and gas exports and the money generated from that. There's between a half a billion and a billion dollars a day of money that's um, basically paid to the Russians for uh, oil and gas, and that money still is coming in the coffers every day. I read a, a uh, there's a counter that someone's emailed me a, a website which has a counter. Like every minute, it counts how much money Russia's getting. And since the invasion, they've received from the West seventeen billion dollars, which gives you wow. some sense of how much money is involved. Sure. So, would you like to see you know further sanctions on on kind of Russian energy? I I, be- I believe that that. In order to really dry up um, the money from the Putin regime, we have to do that. And it's going to be very hard, particularly for some European countries. They're not going to be able to do it right away, but that has to be what, ha- what what's going to happen because we cannot be basically paying them money to drop bombs on Ukraine. Sure. Okay. Um, and yeah, so Vladimir Putin personally raised your name uh, during his summit with uh, President Donald Trump in Helsinki in 2018. Um, how do you think Trump would have handled this crisis? And, and what do you think of the prospect of uh, Trump returning to the White House? Well, um, I, I, God knows what Trump would have done. I mean, he's, um, I mean, thank God we didn't face an international crisis like this when he was president because he was just so, first of all, he, he, he made all these idiotic and, and unpleasant overtures towards Putin. And secondly, he was just a man who who had no ability to analyze everything, anything. He, he never was acting in the U.S. national interest, and he didn't understand the implications of major policy decisions. And here we're facing, you know, a man who's a tyrant, who's who's uh, effectively um, threatening nuclear war. And, you know, the, the, the safety of the planet is at stake. And I, I wouldn't have trust, trusted Donald Trump for a second to handle a situation like this. Now, um, what are his prospects of being reelected? Um, I don't know. I'm not an American political prognosticator, but what I would say is that whatever they were before, all of this chumminess that he had with Putin will certainly um, detract a lot of people from from thinking as positively about him next election cycle. Sure. Okay. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so financial news, we've been writing a lot about the kind of major banks, law firms, accountancy firms pulling out of Russia in, in the wake of um, the invasion of Ukraine. So uh, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, PwC, uh, you know, those sort of firms have all announced that they're leaving. Um, there are a handful of major financial services firms which haven't yet said what they're doing with their Russia offices. So that includes Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. And um, what do you think of, you know, firms that, that have kind of dragged their feet on this or have not made clear what their position is? Well, they're dragging their feet in hopes that they can somehow keep their head under the table, continue to do business and make money and maybe make more money because of the withdrawal of other firms. And um, I will hope and even take an active role in trying to persuade if they if if the if they commit to staying in Russia, I will persuade a lot of people I know with an enormous amount of capital to not do business with those firms until unless and until um, they have pulled out. It's totally unreasonable for any American company, British company, um, European company to be doing business with a, um, a murderous dictatorship that's conducting a war of aggression, killing innocent people in Ukraine. It's just it's not acceptable. Okay. Um, and, and on a kind of uh, slightly different note, there have been reports of um, retail investors, um, you know, seeing the war as an opportunity to pick up kind of Russian stocks or Russian linked stocks on the cheap. Um, and also, I think the reports that the, the Moscow Stock Exchange is set to kind of reopen on, on a limited basis. Um, what, what do you think about, you know, people who are viewing this as a kind of investment opportunity? Well, first of all, um, the, the, put, let's, put, let's put aside the, the moral repugnancy of it for a second and just look at the um, investment opportunity or lack of it. Um, you know, here you've got a, a scenario where Vladimir Putin has torn up the entire rule book for go government and, and international relations and law, international law and sovereignty by invading Ukraine. He's murdering, he, he's conducting a terrorist incident like equivalent to September 11th every day. And so if he's that disrespectful of international law when it comes to things that really matter like life and death why would anyone assume that he's not going to that he's going to be behaving himself when it comes to repaying debt or corporate governance in russian companies it, it would seem totally logical to me that he's going to tear up all rule books and he's going to look for any resources where they are and why would he allow any of these companies to remain private to trade on stock exchange why wouldn't he just renationalize them expropriate them etc and mm -hmm. so uh, you know, buyer, let, let the buyer beware. You know, there sometimes things are cheap for a reason, and I think that things are probably, you know, uh, cheap for a reason here. And because I, I it, there's a, a very real likelihood that these companies don't exist in the form of shareholding companies at some point in the near future. Okay, great. Um, yeah, and just a quick reminder to anyone watching: we will be taking uh, questions from the audience, so. Uh, please, please get those in. Um, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think about uh, kind of law firms, PR firms um, in the West who have acted for you know the oligarchs in in, in you know burnishing, protecting their reputations over the last twenty years? And I'm, you know, I'm sure you you've been on the end of a few kind of legal writs in your time. And um, you know, what do you think about 
what those firms and professionals have done and you know do you think that there, there should be a kind of a, a reckoning now well so you, you have a bunch of people in the city of london and in manhattan and in various other places who have been operating who've been paid money to operate as aggressive attack agents on behalf of the russian government it's as simple as that you know working for a uh, a dictator doing his bidding to attack people who are calling for justice, trying to expose corruption, um, trying to change a, uh, a dictatorship. Those people um, should be named and they should be shamed. And, um, uh, and I would imagine that the, the, their conduct will, will uh, uh, sit with them in the future and people will judge them accordingly. Uh, anyone who has enriched themselves acting as aggressive agents, as attack dogs, for Vladimir Putin should be, should be ashamed of themselves and others should take note. Okay, great. Well, um, yeah, we'll take uh, a listener question now. So uh, F. Geni has asked, uh, will institutional capital ever return to Russia? I, I, I don't believe that institutional capital will return to Russia anytime during the time that Putin is uh, remains the leader of Russia. There would have to be a major regime change before people are going to be feel comfortable going back into Russia. It's just not a, it's not, it, it, I don't believe it was an investable country for the last 15 years, but it's definitely not an investable country now, and nor will it be um, until there's a regime change. Okay. And um, a kind of similar question, well, almost a follow-up question from Robert here. Um, what threat, if any, does Putin face from his oligarch friends uh, who are suffering significant wealth destruction and reputational damage? Well, you know, everybody asks me that question, <clears throat> and everybody asks me in the hopes that somehow by um, destroying the net worth of the oligarchs, um, they will turn on Vladimir Putin. Um, and I wish that that were the case, but the oligarchs are totally powerless, and Vladimir Putin is all-powerful, and they all know it, and they could all be um, uh, killed, imprisoned, um, losing their, their money. They're all effectively um, allowed to be oligarchs at Putin's pleasure, and they can be taken out in a second. And so I just don't see that as a realistic possibility. And uh, mm. uh, I, wish, I wish that there was some way that that would happen because that would solve all our problems. But sadly, I think it's very low probability scenario. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, what do you see uh, the prospects for, you know, Putin's regime falling? What What are the chances of that happening? I, I think it's very low. I mean, is mm. so. What, so, the, how, how will his regime fall? One way is the oligarchs. I don't think that that's probable. The second way is that the people of Russia throw him out. But the people of Russia are being presented with an entirely different set of facts. Now, they're not facts. It's, set of um, fake facts about what's going on right now. The way that they're, the way this looks to them, um, they've been told that the Ukrainians are Nazis and fascists, um, that they're rounding up Russian speaking people in some type of ethnic cleansing operation. They're killing uh, uh, Russian speaking people. And then in response, uh, Putin has launched a humanitarian mission, a special operation to get rid of these terrible Nazis and to bring peace and prosperity to the people of Ukraine, and um, and he's presented the all the sanctions as some type of strange collaboration between the West and this terrible Nazi regime, and so the average Russian thinks that this is 
our fault, that this is the Ukrainians' fault, and that Russians are just um, the righteous uh, warriors in this situation. And so I, even with all the sanctions, I, I don't see how they would, uh, uh, how, how that would change. And any, any sources of information to tell them otherwise have been cut off. All Western media outlets have been stopped. All social media from the West has been stopped. Uh, anybody who says that this is a war or an invasion um, will spend 15 years in jail. Um, it's a total sort of totalitarian crackdown. And so the most likely scenario in terms of what, you know, how Putin manages this is sort of what I would describe as the North Korea scenario, the Kim Jong-un scenario, where he, um, uh, he, he somehow manages in this highly sort of uh, ostracized country, which is cut off from the West, but continues to do business with other authoritarian regimes like China and uh, Venezuela and Iran. And somehow they squeak by in not a very pleasant way, but they somehow manage. And mm -hmm. he, he stays dictator for a long time and continues to be a threat um, in Ukraine. The, 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 I, I think the war doesn't end. I think it carries on in some lower grade fashion where we continue to see atrocities committed by Russians, but nobody, there's no clear winner, no clear loser. Well, that's a, a fairly bleak prospect, but, um, uh, and what about the, the role of China in this? Um, you know, do you think that the West is is set for a kind of, you know, I don't know, showdown or a new Cold War with, with China? Um, but but Ch China doesn't play things so badly as Russia does. I mean, China is an authoritarian regime. They're evil by any definition, setting up concentration camps for for uh, religious minorities, taking over Hong Kong, tearing up the rule book there, et cetera. But they're, they, they, they tend to do things in a little less obvious way. And so they, they've been called on by the Russians to basically fund this war in Ukraine. And, and on one hand, they would love to do that because they, would, they wouldn't do it for free. They would do it in exchange for some good, tasty morsels of Russian assets. But um, at the same time, any, any support they give to the Russians will, be, will lead to some type of sanction, whether it's by the Western governments or by consumers. And, and it's a mercantile society, a mercantile country that really relies on business. And so, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to play it down the middle at the moment. But we should have no illusions about them. They're, they're never going to come in and help us. Uh, all they would do is try to capitalize on this crisis um, to get what they want from the Russians and to get what they want from the West. And so, uh, China will will be a uh, an irritant, but but it's certainly not a solution. The one thing I would say, though, and this is this is really important, is that I think everybody has been surprised by the um, how unified the West has been in imposing draconian economic sanctions on Putin. And if uh, Xi had any designs on invading Hong Kong, uh, the way Putin has invaded Ukraine, that's off the table now. Sure. Okay. And um, yeah, in terms of the West's, uh, you know, support for Ukraine, um, I might be wrong, but it feels to me as if the closer the country is to Ukraine, the, the bigger this crisis seems. And I think some of the coverage from the US has maybe seen, seemed more focused on, you know, gas prices and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, is there a danger that, that Biden and, and the US aren't aren't being tough enough on this. Um, I think we saw 
the plan to supply uh, MIGs to Ukraine kind of shot down by uh, uh, Biden and um, yeah, his government. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Do you think do you think they are the U.S. are doing enough on this? Well, I, I I think that the U.S. is doing is doing a lot more than than I would have ever predicted at the beginning of this thing. Um, uh, I mean, the one the thing that that I believe needs to happen is a no fly zone. I just don't know how we can continue to watch thousands of and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. We don't even know what the numbers really of innocent people being massacred. How many more before we have to do something? And um, everybody says that's going to put us into World War III, but we kind of already are. Um, and I, I think that Putin has shown himself to be such a weak military power in terms of what, how, how badly he's failed that I'm not sure that he'd want to be up, standing up against NATO if we have a no-fly zone there. And so that that's, for me, the, the biggest hurdle that we still have to overcome. Um, economic sanctions have been really powerful. They need to be, there's more that needs to be done, but I think that's all going to be happening. And if anything, it's the Europeans that haven't really, <clears throat> uh, that have left the loopholes open with the Germans, you know, continuing to buy Russian gas and and the Europeans also not wanting to disconnect certain Russian banks from, from SWIFT. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're still in the middle of, of this rollout of the sanctions. I think there'll be more, I think there's going to be more atrocities, which will provoke more sanctions. And, and um, you know, wherever we are today is not where we're going to be tomorrow on either economic policies or this no-fly zone or however they want to characterize it, which which I think has to happen at some point soon. Okay. And, um, you know, you, you're kind of a personal enemy of Putin. Um, do you think he's kind of mad enough to, to start World War III to, to press the nuclear button? I don't think that he's mad enough to start World War III, but I think he's absolutely mad enough to use nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons in Ukraine. Uh, you know, starting World War III is, is mutually assured destruction. I don't see how he could do that. It's just that that's that that doesn't make any I don't see what benefit he gets from that. But I see he could get huge benefit from, you know, using a nuclear weapon in Ukraine and then looking at us all and say, I'm pointing one towards you. Are you ready to, you know, give into my demands? I'd like to have, you know, the Baltics, Poland, Romania and Bulgaria back, please. And and th that, that could easily be a strategy of his. Okay. Um, well, we'll take uh, a listener question here. Um, so Hal says, um, won't it occur to the average Russian uh, that something is wrong if McDonald's and Ikea have been closed? Are, are they that insulated from reality? Well, that, that, that's where they see it the most. And so um, I, I was just reading through one of the Russian tabloids the other day. And anyone can do this, by the way. It was called Konsumolskaya Pravda. You can just Google Translate the you have Google Translate the page, you know, the web page. And like half the articles were all about all the different things they were not going to be able to buy, McDonald's and cosmetics and all, all sorts of stuff. It was really interesting. So that, so they're fully conscious of, of how terrible their consumer life has become. But but it's all about how it gets spun. So, um, you know, Putin is is spinning it as, as uh, you know, this is the result of these evil, heinous, Nazi-loving Western governments who are trying to punish us for, for doing the right thing. And, you know, we're all going to have to make sacrifices to 
you know, to, to continue on this noble mission, but we are going to do that because, you know, God, you know, glory to Russia kind of thing. And that, mm -hmm. that is his pitch to the Russian people. And, and for the moment they buy it. Now th there is one thing which th th there's no way to hide, which is that they've lost more troops in, in the first month in Ukraine than they lost in nine and a half years in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And those, those troops are, you know, 21 year old young men who have mothers and sisters and, and fathers who have friends and everybody's going to know about it. And it's a lot of people and a lot of death and a lot of heartbreak, mm -hmm. and a lot of families destroyed um, and a lot of meaningless death. And so that, that's usually the kind of thing that there's no way to mask it. I mean, it doesn't matter whether, whether he's spun it as a righteous war or a evil war, dead is dead. And nobody mm -hmm. wants that. And that, that will come back to haunt him. And how, you know, maybe the mothers of Russia will be the ones to overthrow Putin. But, um, the, you know, there it's, you know, the grief of a mother is, 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 you know, you, you can't, you can't repress no matter how totalitarian the dictatorship, you can't repress the grief of a mother who's lost her son. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and a question from Lua. Um, at what point does Putin get called to the international court of law for committing human atrocities so i think there's been some talk about yeah kind of a nuremberg style uh court to be set up to try putin i mean do you do you see that kind of thing happening do you, do you think that kind of thing is useful <laughs> well i mean you, you usually you set up these types of courts and when the regime falls and then you can sure. hold them to, to account so um I, I love to see the regime fall um mm. the likelihood of that i think is low if the regime were to fall, I'm sure that if Putin were still alive, he would be called in front of the, um, you know, the uh, tribunals for the crimes mm. of war in Ukraine. Um, mm. But I, I, um, I think that we're we're still a long way off from that. I mean, that that would be the fantasy scenario. Mm. Mm. Okay, um, and you know, obviously, you're you're someone that you know lived in Moscow, uh, must have lots of. You know russian friends and connections and and that kind of thing um what are the kind of you know the kind of liberal muscovites i mean it, it, what what are their opinions of of putin and, and this war is, is there a split between you know people in the sticks watching tv and 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 people who have kind of access to you know richer sources of media and, and that kind of thing so the the liberal intelligentsia fully understands this they're totally ashamed they're horrified they 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 are they they are against it they they want to do anything they can to stop it they're also afraid for their own futures and they're all leaving russia on mass now ukraine has had you know 3 million refugees or two and a half to 3 million refugees leave the country um uh as bombs bombard them russia has had 200,000 refugees among the liberal intelligentsia who have left, uh, who will hopefully become, you know, the um, opposition in exile as as this thing plays on. Um, it, there's no decent Russian that I know that supports the um, this thing, and and I know a lot of Russians that are, uh, including many who I who are still with me from, you know, who have been fighting the Magnitsky, uh, you know, justice campaign with me, who are just you know, so horrified about what what this terrible dictator is doing sure okay um i think we're, we're moving towards the the end of our time um is there anything else you want to say bill any, any other points you want to make or uh anything else that you'd want to flag um well the one th the one thing i'll do is is just 
point out that in, in a couple of weeks time on, on April 12th, uh, my second book is coming out. It's called Freezing Order. And I think it kind of explains why we are here now. Um, it, it all it goes into the in investigation that we did into Putin, the Putin regime money laundering. And I believe that this whole thing is based on corruption and money laundering. And basically that Putin has started this war um, to stay in power. He needs to stay in power because he's stolen so much money and he's stolen so much money. The people are are angry with him and, um, and he's seen what happens with other dictators. And so uh, I, if you want to know more about really understanding the regime and understanding Putin and understanding why, who he is and what he's doing um, in a couple of weeks time, you'll be able to read my second book, which I think you'll enjoy. Okay. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I've, I've been uh, reading an advanced copy and uh, yeah, it's definitely, def definitely worth the read. Um, well, yeah, I'm sure we could keep talking for a lot longer. There's obviously lo lots to talk about, but uh, I think you have to get on. So we will leave it there. So um, yeah, thanks very much for your time, Bill. Um, thanks. Thank you, James. Thanks a lot to the uh, audience for tuning in. Um, and yeah, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. So Baron, Senior Managing Editor, editor Lauren Rublin and Deputy Editor Alex Yule uh, will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Um, thanks again, Bill, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.